You're listening to the January 4th, 2015 podcast of the Joy of Preparedness radio show featuring Richard Ruge and Skip Geralds. Today they're just chatting, if you will, about those things that have been stimulating and motivating and sometimes aggravating about their experience with disaster preparedness, um, pre um, event um, recovery from disasters, the post event, and also those things that might be happening with and for people during the event. I was thinking about uh, this show. Generally, we have guests come on, but Skip and I both wanted to talk about why we're doing this to begin with. And I realized how actually how simple it is and how complex it is. Um, disaster preparedness is like many wonderful things in our in our life, uh, like love and uh, caring and compassion. How do you discuss that in a two-hour segment? Um, both Skip and I are going to be doing uh, a FEMA webinar in September of this year, and uh, we've called it the mystery, taking the mystery out of disaster preparedness. So it's disaster preparedness is really, really complex if you think it's someone else's responsibility. It is extremely simple if you take responsibility yourself. Take responsibility for yourself, your family, your friends, your neighbors, and your community. Then then it becomes quite clear uh, what you need to do and what, what the next steps are. But if you uh, consider the disaster preparedness is someone else's responsibility, uh, it'll, it'll be quite difficult for you. Yeah, it seems like the mystery part of it for me is um, in thinking that is, you know, somebody's going to come, a first responder of some kind that has this vast amount of knowledge and experience that's going to be able to take care of me while I'm within this particular setting of an emergency. And therefore, I'm sort of like hands off from the whole thing. And that sets up that that mystery part of it. It's like, what will they do? How will they do it? Um, but it also then leaves me in a very vulnerable position. I've already had something, the, whatever the disaster is, I've already had something happen. But I'm also quite vulnerable because I'm essentially helpless if I don't have any information myself. Right. And if you, and if you haven't prepared, and if you haven't prepared your family in your neighborhood, what happened in Katrina, if you would reflect on that, um, it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have been as disastrous if the community would have come together prior to Katrina and prepared. There were people um, who drowned in senior homes and the the family knew that they were going to be rescued um, and oftentimes they were talking to their relatives in the nursing home and the phones went dead because they drowned. So Katrina would have been very, very different if we as a culture would have taken responsibility for preparing for Katrina.
Right, right. Yeah, and it does seem like the the um, communities in general don't, you know, have not taken that lesson. You know, the the community structures. Let's put it that way. They they seem to take those lessons after something happens specifically in a community for a while. For a while, <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, the basic human nature is happening in association to disasters. Right. Basic human nature is the mystery. You know, and typically, I think becoming informed. And then getting into some level of action behind that affects. Right. So, so what this radio program is about, and what our joyofpreparedness.com uh, uh, website is about, is allowing us to be more and more conscious and creating a dialogue where we begin to take responsibility for ourselves. And what I've discovered, and Skip's discovered, is there's a great amount of joy in that, and satisfaction, and. Uh, peace uh, once you take responsibility yeah it's uh, I think you know, for myself it's the thought of trying to be prepared was something that I could you know um, you know try to just take control in some way of a situation that looked like it was going to be you know could potentially be devastating to me or to my family um, and instead what I found over time is is that the more informed I became uh, the more people I connected with and the more informed they were about things that were going on the more empowered we felt and actually then there was that time to interface in a humorous way and in a fun way and in a joyful way around what needs to be done to prepare um, instead of it being, you know, oh my gosh, there's, you know, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. You know, that, that whole mode of operation doesn't really work for me. So we're going to talk today about uh, after you take responsibility, what are you going to be confronted with and what are the benefits of uh, taking responsibility? Um, one of the benefits... To me, the most obvious one to me is that you develop really long-lasting friendships, and I, and Skip is one of my friends, <laughs> and it just started because I was running a meeting and he showed up, and and we just became friends, and now we're doing a radio show together. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly how it works. I mean, other people that I've met in other settings too, it's very much the same way. Not everybody, but some people you really connect with, and I, I think that's. That's the essence of what needs to happen, is connect with a few that know or have some, something similar that they're doing with you, that understand in the same way or, or add something to what you can understand, and then hopefully you'd be able to help each other. So we don't see this as um, a, a one-incident thing or a, a, a one way of looking at it. This is... This is life to me. Um, taking responsibility for yourself during disaster means being responsible. And it, car- it carries over to many different things, like uh, is there going to be enough water on the planet? Is there going to be enough food? Is there going to be enough shelter? Is there going to, uh, are we going to address the imbalance of wealth uh, that's occurring? And it all begins with us taking responsibility. Right. I think that's, you know, relevance is one of the things that we've talked about before. And I think that's one of those places where, you know, that is... 
you know, the commonality, you know, the relevance between us all are, uh, is that we do need to take responsibility in each of these areas. And some of us focus into one area or two areas or three areas in our lives much more strongly than the other areas. But essentially being able to take responsibility or understand what we need to do and the right people to connect with in any of these areas is really, really important. On the way here, I listened to uh, Sam Cooke's A Change is Going to Come, and I thought about Rosa Parks, the woman that moved from the back of the bus. Mm -hmm. Um, And the change occurred after she changed within herself. Um, The world didn't change because uh, just because it changed. It changed because she moved into the front of the bus. She, she wouldn't take it anymore. And and then our whole world changed out of that. So, so what we're talking about is um, creating, getting in touch with our innate power. Rosa Parks didn't know she was going to change the world one, probably, when she got on the bus. Uh, but it happened. Uh, and it was happened because she acted. So it's what we want to encourage is everyone to act. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. For, yeah, to just take care of yourselves. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and it's, it's extremely simple. Um, one of the things that Eric Peterson mentioned when he was here as a guest was that 80% of the hospital visits after the Napa earthquake was caused by people walking on glass. And there was over 200 visits. Um, so if we could just get the word out that you need shoes underneath your bed, that would eliminate 80% of the uh, the difficulties in, at, after the Napa earthquake. And uh, 20% of the uh, visits to the Napa hospitals were due to lacerated hands, tr- people trying to pick up glass. So it, it's so, so simple. If you just put shoes and and gloves underneath your bed, you're going to be much, much safer. And if you and and your children, if they have shoes and gloves under their bed, they're going to be much, much safer. So what we're talking about is being compassionate to ourselves and our families and our neighbors. And that's some. I I believe that's that's who we are. Yeah, and I do think that it it is simple. There are a lot of really simple things that have a huge impact, and I think that example of the cut feet is a really is a really really great one. Yeah. You know, there were some serious injuries in Napa also, but the primary ones are, as you're saying, and this is true. You read the after action reports, and this is true in a lot of instances where people just. You know, they got up and they ran through their house, and of course the windows had been breaking, and of course now all of a sudden they're a victim. And it was a very simple thing for them to have had shoes, or at least the knowledge to stop and put their shoes on first. You know, when you're in a disaster in those moments and it's chaotic, your ability to think is really minimized, and so you actually have to have built in some sense of what do I do to respond to things. 
really solidified within your being. Put shoes on. Yes. Right. Yes. Put shoes on. Something is happening. Put shoes on. You know, you think, okay, I got to get outside. Yes. That's with your feet. <laughs> you know, put some right. shoes on those puppies so that you can get outside. Right. And and you want to be able to communicate with your family during a disaster. And, and your family may be in different bedrooms than yourself. So you would want whistles and you want to be able to see. So you want flashlights. These are all extremely inexpensive and simple things to do. Right, right. And a plan. You have to, as you had said, Richard, I mean, you, you have to talk with your family about, you know, what are you going to do? Where, where, How do you get out of your house if that's the case? What sort of communication if you hear a whistle? You know, Anna Marie's situation with the three different kinds of whistle blasts. You know, what do you do? How are you going to communicate with your family? And then where are you going to meet? You know, you have to have a plan. That's another basic step is to think these things through. Talk about it every once in a while with your family so that it's sort of in their head that these are the things that we do, here's where we go, or this is who we call, that each of us could call in order to make sure somebody knows where each of us are. And a tip is that you want to have someone to call outside of your area. Yes, yes. That's a very basic uh, tip. Right. Uh, um, And the reason is? Because the lines will be down right. within your community. Yeah, the the local the local lines will fill up much faster. Like say seven oh seven for us, the local lines will fill up much faster than the out of state numbers. Those long distance lines could actually be a completely different traffic pattern than what we have as far as the local people trying to get in touch with each other. So absolutely, reach out to somebody outside of your area that everybody in your family knows to call. One of the things that. Uh, I talked about when I uh, talked with Skip preparing for this uh, radio show. You may think we're not prepared, but boy. <laughs> you should just see the level of preparation we have here. Um, but I, when I first started, uh, I started where everybody starts, and that's from inertia and not wanting to do anything and thinking it's somebody else's job and don't bother me with this damn disaster preparedness. Um, but once I got into it and began to realize, became more conscious of what the situation was, I began to see a need to prepare our community so that the Office of Emergency Services and first responders and American Red Cross don't have to deal with us general folk, but only deal with the people that are seriously injured. Um, and and what happens if you're not prepared is that you become part of the seriously injured people mm-hmm. if you don't have your shoes under the bed. Right, and example. they not may not be able to get to you because there are very, very serious injuries and damage in other locales besides just you and your feet. Yeah. So I want you to get out there and plan so that if I'm the seriously injured person, the Red Cross can take care of me. <laughs> right, right, right. So, yeah, you had mentioned before about, you know, trying to minimize that interface for us as residents or just regular people, trying to minimize that interface between us and the, the first responders because they will be so busy. And you have some stats that you use, Richard. Why don't you talk about that? Well, um, it's on our website. Uh, thejoyofpreparedness.com but it's in Sonoma County there's 500,000 people Um, there's only about 1,500 first responders there's only about 20 serviceable ambulances Um, so and the first responders are going to be dealing dealing with uh, 
serious, serious stuff, the looking at buildings. One of the things that happens during a disaster is the fire trucks will go down the streets and people want, will sit there and try to wave them down to come help their family. But that, that isn't their job after disaster. Their job is to, to get the streets moving and make sure that buildings are safe to to be in. So they've, they've got something else to do rather than individual support. Yeah, and especially in the beginning, they, they do a, a survey. So one of the things that you do read and you hear from, say, firemen in particular is, is that as they go out to do this survey of what's happening on the streets in order to be able to report back, one of the hardest things for them is, is that they have to pass by fires because what they're really doing is just surveying. And then they'll come back to the more serious fires, but people are asking them for help during those times. And, in fact, their job is... is to get as much information as possible back to the to the primary people. So the more that we stay out of their way or I, their hair, as I say, um, the, the better off they can. The better off they can serve us and uh, take care of us. But we are we're involved in this. Yeah, I just I hadn't run this calculation before, but those fifteen hundred first responders and us five hundred thousand others—that's yeah. three hundred and thirty-three people per responder. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. Uh, and that's not an uncommon ratio, I think. Yeah. But I think that what you're talking about, Richard, and I think what we've been trying to do, myself included, have been trying to do is to get people to understand that, that you know you're probably not going to get any attention at all within the first several days of a disaster so or an emergency. So knowing what to do for yourself, taking care of yourself and your possibly your, your neighborhood or the building that you work in, knowing what you need to do in those areas will make a huge difference in those first several days before any first responders might be able to get to you. So... I say that what you need to survive a disaster or be prepared is three things, and they're from the Wizard of Oz. The first thing you need is a reflective brain. I, I say reflective rather than reactive. If you're reacting, you're doing what I did when we first started off. Oops, I, I don't have time for this. There's money for disaster preparedness. It's somebody else's business, etc. That was a reactive brain, and I wasn't able to hear anything. When I began reflecting on disaster preparedness, all sorts of things began to open up. So if you would like to have a reflective brain, get on our website and go through the various distinctions um, that we've identified. Distinctions are in very critical um, because prior to my reflection on disaster preparedness, I didn't see any distinctions. All I saw was the American Red Cross is going to take care of me and everybody I served, et cetera, et cetera. The next thing you need is an open and compassionate heart. Um, that's number two. Uh, you, you really need to get in touch with your care of other humans of humanity, the care of your family, your neighbors, your community, that you want people to survive a disaster and you want to take responsibility for that and assist other people in taking responsibility. The third thing you need is courage to go beyond your comfort zone. 
doing this radio show probably was beyond our comfort zone. <laughs> and we should have thought about it more seriously. <laughs> we'll get somebody better to do it. <laughs> so I want to jive in here because I, I went to the um, it's cpbr.gov.au website, and it has the um, myths of human response to disasters. And the number two is people look after themselves. People look after themselves, um, that's, and they say that that's a myth. The reality is, is people generally care for each other, helping those in need where possible. And it says here that the planning implications of that are to utilize people's wish to help each other. I mean, I think that's a big part of what you're talking about with the compassion, is, is that what we need to understand is, is that we, we almost innately want to really help others. You know, right. some people are going to respond from a different place during a disaster because their response just happens to be um, in from, from a different angle. There's so many different angles that you read the information on how people respond. There's this huge array of potential responses for a human during a disaster. And some of them are actually not very helpful to the individual. And yes. they're not very helpful to whatever group or community that they're involved in at the time. But as with most of the other emotional responses that will happen, that will taper away over time. But so what we can do is just understand that almost all of us are going to actually begin to try to help each other and one of my personal things is is that wouldn't it be great if people knew more about what to do to actually help each other and i think that's a part of what we do here right yeah i encourage people to have a party after a disaster that <laughs> you you organize your neighborhood prior before the disaster uh who's going to bring food who's going to go out and check the the medical needs and who's going to go out and check the physical needs and who's going to create a party atmosphere for the kids and the seniors and Right. Et cetera. So. Yeah. And some neighborhoods, I mean, you know, Sebastopol as well as, I mean, other areas have, like, we have the Map Your Neighborhood program. Santa Rosa um, uses something called COPE, um, Citizens Organized to Prepare for Emergencies. And a lot of that is really exactly that, is how to be able to give people the opportunity to come together ahead of time, to know each other. That's huge, you know, to know each other. And then also what skills individuals in your neighborhood, or maybe it's the building at work, but you know what skills people have and then what special needs people have and then an understanding ahead of time to be able to connect in a way so that you your your innate sense of wanting to help can actually be very specifically directed so let's say you do have a reflective brain and you have a compassionate heart and you're really in touch with it and you're willing to go beyond your comfort zone so i I wanted us to talk a little bit about after you take responsibility, what are you confronted with? Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's very. It be, because you have to keep going back to who you are. And and I, I believe who you are is someone who cares, and Skip believes that too. And so you'll be confronted with people who aren't interested. I imagine that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to protect themselves, they'll think like I did that was oh, somebody else's job. Go away, leave me alone. So, how do you deal with that? 
Yeah, that resistance. I mean, you know, one of the examples that I, I, I use for myself anyway is um, our CERT program in Sebastopol has hit, I think, something like three or three and a half percent, maybe four percent of the population within Sebastopol are people that have taken, had the time and then took the time to, you know, take some classes to try to get, you know, more information and understand better how to be able to take care of themselves. That's a very small percentage of the population. The rest of the people are busy. It's not on their radar screen, they, they think it's bogus. I don't have to. I don't have to do anything until an event happens. It will never happen here. You know, that's the whole rest of that population. But they're going to be affected by if it's a widespread emergency or disaster. They're going to be affected by uh, affected by it in exactly the same way as the others. Even if it's not a major disaster, having the tools to to respond to an emergency is useful. When the lights go out, you have a flashlight. If something breaks, um, someone throws a rock through your window, you have shoes to wear. You know, it. It. Uh, you, you're never uh, left left to your own. Uh, you're, you're prepared. Yeah. yeah, you're not left yeah. to the, the, the thought process in the middle of the emergency, right? which is not going to be very good, you know, for most people unless they've already developed a pattern of response. You know, one of the examples that I like is, uh, um, you know, the traffic training that we did, which was which was one time only in Sebastopol and several people that took that training with the police department standing down at the corner there of jewel by the fire department um was that they used that information later they knew what to do just the basic steps of how to be able to stop the traffic and direct the traffic you know to try to help those people that were dealing with either cars or injuries or whatever but they actually had that in the back of their minds and they were able to step into that role because they had that which means then that the first responders can then take care of what they need to do to you know what to really put their experience to use you know these people have that and I think it's the same thing in this other kinds of education and training that people take is is that then when something happens they have a response which is what you were saying earlier I think they have a response rather than a reaction right so so wouldn't it be great if nothing stopped you the disaster preparedness um trains you to keep going even when you're told no or discouraged or go away it 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 keeps that's one things i like about the jehovah's witness (laughs) because that that must be very very tough but to be able to discover the courage that you have within yourself uh, is quite joyful yeah, to, yeah. To know that the information you're know, to believe yeah. that the information that you have is really valid, you know, right. and is important. And in some cases, people are very, very willing to share that information, even door to door. Right. You know, but you had you had mentioned some of you know, like what might you be confronted with? And there's a lot of websites out there um, to be able to you know provide some information for people. Like I went to helpguide.org, H-E-L-P-G-U-I-D-E.org. And they have, you know, different information on the emotional aftermath of traumatic events is one section. And it says common reactions to trauma and disaster, shock and disbelief. You may have a hard time accepting the reality of what happened. Yeah. 
fear that the same thing will happen again or that you'll lose control or break down. I think this is why people move out into the street right. and into parks is to get away from structures. Right. Um, sadness, uh, particularly if, if you know people that you know have died. A sense of helplessness, the sudden and unpredictable nature of natural disasters and accidents may leave you feeling vulnerable and helpless. Yeah. Um, guilt that you survived when others maybe have died or were injured or that you could have done more to help or prevent the situation. That's the piece there that is I'm, I'm really wanting the work that I do and, and the way that I approach this information to help me there because I think that would be the thing that Skip would have the most difficulty with and that, and that is that I could have done more. Hmm. Not maybe to prevent a disaster, but I could have done more. And if I, if I don't, I'm going to feel really guilty. I, I'm probably beyond the guilt. But um, anger, you may be angry at God or others you feel are responsible. Um, shame, especially over feelings or fears that you can't control. There's that whole guilt thing for Skip. Um, relief that you may be, re- you may feel relieved that the worst is over, and even hopeful that your life will return to normal. That cycle of going through just those and coming to that place of relief, I think, can be shortened, and the intensity of those, all of those emotions, um, decreased to a degree by preparing. And understanding what you're going to be going through and actually having some tools in place, shoes for one, um, gloves, as we've talked about before, but also some basic information on how to be able to deal with these things that you're going to be confronted with. What we would encourage you to reflect on is what kind of society you want to live in. Um, Do you want to live in a society that doesn't care, that that stays within their uh, homes and just looks at technology all day or do you want to live in a society that where you get to party you get you get to know people you um get to say hey i love you and i care about you and i want you to survive a disaster um to cope and map your neighborhood allows you to do that very quite naturally yeah yeah one of the things i mean again just going back to this uh, helpguide.org it says you know these usually these unsettling thoughts and feelings fade as life starts to return to normal and some of this other information they talk about life returning to normal months after an emergency or disaster has mm-hmm. happened and that people go through a cycle of you know recovering from these kinds of things and again in almost all instances in a lot of the instances that I've read about people say had we talked about this before had I mentioned to my wife or my family or whoever you know to be able to connect with me um, specifically um, we would have been able to foreshorten the length of time that it took us to understand that we were all okay or where we were at or what was going on. But instead, if they hadn't prepared, they were just lost in the chaos of what happens. And that chaos takes a while to move through for one and without any level of preparation or you know pre-thought in the situation, um, we're left to deal with all of these emotions that are, that are at least available to us uh, without some level of preparation to be able to know how to handle them. So what is the benefit of transcending that the frustration of how we live our lives now? Um, I, I believe that we can deal with global warming, lack of water, food, shelter, 
income equality through awakening within us our responsibility for our world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and this is one way of developing that muscle. Um, what, we're, what we're talking about is we want you to be happy. <laughs> <laughs> we want you to enjoy life, and, uh, and you have something to say about it, uh, no matter who you are. Uh, and what your situation is. I, I read a bunch of books about this because I'm really curious about how, how do you create a cultural shift from dependency on others to self-sufficiency and a planetary cultural shift for that matter. Um, there's a guy named Sean Achor, A-C-H-O-R, and he's the author of the uh, bestseller The Happiness Advantage. So I, I believe most of us want to be happy, um, and one of he he has three strategies. One is to franchise success. So one of the things that we do with uh, disaster preparedness is we franchise, map your neighborhood, and cope, and and things like that. There, there are neighbors neighborhoods right now that are that are prepared, and uh, are quite successful. And then rewrite the social script is number two, and strategy three is create a shared narrative. Uh, creating a shared narrative is something that um, George Lakoff talks about, too, that we have a responsibility in creating the narrative of our lives. Um, and I want to create one that's quite joyful and blissful and <laughs> and where I have lots of friends and people take care of each other. And I think those connections are the ones that you, again, you you look into these, you know, what happens after emergencies and disasters is that um, if, if there is not a connection amongst people, um, there is one typically afterwards because we right. do come together and, and there is, you know, there is a, um, you know, a lot of work that is required, you know, during or after, immediately after a disaster and finding who can do what and that you work together with people. I think that's really important. And again, in, in, in the after action reports and you read about it in the newspapers and things like that, people talk about how... If they had a connection with others, their process went really, you know, went better, went along better, a little bit easier because they had a connection between people. And if they didn't, that connection did come about, but it takes time to develop that, especially from within that chaotic time period immediately during a disaster and after. It takes time to develop that sense of who can do what and I'm willing to work with this person and he knows better than I or I know better than her what to do, however that might go. It takes a while to be able to establish that. And we can affect that time period by going ahead and making those connections ahead of time. And as Richard often says, you know, from that comes a lot of joy and happiness and an experience that, you know, maybe the big one, quote unquote, the big one never has to hit you and your neighbors that you work with. But from then on, from that time that you establish that, you have those connections with those people. Yeah. Um, And. As a, since we've been doing this for a while, some tips: uh, don't be afraid of making mistakes. There's an, so many benefits of, of doing disaster preparedness. Don't be afraid of making mistakes. Um, I messed up already on the radio show. There's 
spots where I didn't say anything. I went, oh, my God, what am I doing? Uh, But that doesn't matter. What matters is that I want you to know that I love you, that I want you to be taken care of if ever a disaster happens. That's what's important to me. It's not how I look or how I sound on the radio or et cetera, et cetera. Right, right, right. Yeah. And a lot of times it's easier to show that. Yes. Than it is to say that. You know, yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, as difficult as it might be to say that off the air, now you're saying it on the air, Richard. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, but I mean, I think that it is, you know, it, again, it is easier to be able to show that. And people do get that message. You know, I mean, when others, you know, begin to work with each other, they find something in common, something relevant between all of them. Right. I just heard a great story about some things actually just right out here off of Willow Creek Road, a neighborhood, a whole neighborhood addressing an issue that was happening associated to their neighborhood from the outside that was going to affect it, and then how they came together to address that particular issue. And from that, they now have email, phone tree, that, you know, many of them that are actually on Facebook communicate, have communicated during power outages, have communicated during other small emergencies, just because they had already developed that little network predicated on dealing with that common problem and now they have this other network in place yeah so you you want to start from where you're at um you might not be a, a neighborhood leader at this point but if you get from remove yourself from the back of the bus and get on the, the front of the bus <laughs> uh, you will discover that all, you have all sorts of potential that you didn't know you had um and the the joyofpreparedness.com website gives you a, a bunch of tips. One is don't be embarrassed about being redundant. Um, we say the same things over and over right, and over again. Right, right, right. <laughs> but they're all true. Right, and marketing-wise, I mean, you know that it takes, you know, I think, I think, one one of the things that's talked about anyway is, is that people have to hear something seven times, right. minimum of seven times, for it to actually sort of sink in and make sense in there. You know, so saying stuff over and over again within your neighborhood, talking to people, you know, over and over again, that's really what's necessary. Even though you get that look or that, you know, the person crosses the street, you know, or something like that, because they don't want to hear right right in this particular moment about, you know, the next meeting coming up or something like that. You know, you just press on and you just carry the message to, you know, whoever will listen to it at the time. And hopefully more and more people will listen and more and more people would participate in your neighborhood or, you know, within the cause that you're working on. Yeah. So we want to create a shared narrative and a, a narrative that we created, not something that we were given when we were born. Mm-hmm. Um, that we want to create a shared narrative that we care about one another um, and we want each other safe. And I think to to touch in on that, you know, I think of, you know, again, sort of like the city of Sebastopol and the number of groups that are actually doing wonderful work and and they're they're. Um, if we can knit those groups together with those places that are common, like this sense of taking responsibility, you know, and I think each of these groups are trying to get us to pay attention to taking responsibility for the maybe the specific item that they're talking about. And if we can all just understand, you know, hey, look, that's, you know, that's the commonality is, is that we're all interested and there are people paying attention to that particular item over there. And I can at least understand what they're paying attention 
attention to and how they're paying attention to it and how that then is relevant to me and who those players are. I mean, an example is the Grange. I mean, the Grange, although it's outside the city of Sebastopol, I mean, they're actually a great group. They've come together for all the right reasons for themselves, and they're a real easy group to be able to pay attention to that, okay, yeah, there are some very interested, concerned, and active people here, and once they find out about something like, say, disaster preparedness, and I can I can speak to this because they're looking into addressing how they might assist with disaster preparedness simply because over time it finally came up for them to look at it and their group is concerned and they want to be able to do something. So they've found relevance for their group to be able to uh, pay attention to disaster preparedness. And I think that's knitting that together is really important. You know, we, Skip and I don't know how this uh, cultural shift is going to occur. We have no idea. Um, but it will um, bec- because it, it must. Yeah. yeah it, we, we must take care of the water shortage. We must take care of income inequality. We must take care of uh, the lack of food and shelter and, and health care for all the people on the planet. And and we will. Right. I think one of the things, Richard, that I've really appreciated about, you know, what I've learned from you is that sense of you initially having paid attention to a very specific group of people that were vulnerable mm-hmm. and then coming to the realization after you've spent more time with it is, is that during an emergency, everybody is vulnerable. Right. Truly everybody is vulnerable. But knowing that we do have to take responsibility for ourselves, our family, and this is what first response tell themselves you take care of yourself and your family first and if they're okay and you're okay you come down to the fire station or you come down to the police department or you come down to the hospital when we have one um you and, come and we're going to in and, April. We're, go- and we're going to yes. um you know then you come down and then you can really assist and you can really pay attention because if you don't have those things in place, you can't really pay attention to what you need to do as a first responder. And it's the same thing for the rest of us. We need to take care of ourselves. We need to take care of those people around us. And I think the neighborhood is is exactly the right group and size to be able to get people to pay attention to what's going on just within their own neighborhood. And I think that's the COPE program, too. Yes. I mean, the COPE yeah. program is very neighborhood-specific. Um, the CERT program, um, you know, is more individual training with a look to, you know, potentially assisting, um, but definitely having the individual training. And then the COPE program and something like a Map Your Neighborhood program, they're really about... 20, 25 homes in an area coming together, or if you're in a rural area, maybe it's only five or 10, you know, but, but a group of people coming together to be able to take care of each other. Because I think one of those places that you've talked about, and I, I certainly feel the same way, if you can keep from going into the shelters, if you can keep from doing that, one, you will appreciate being able to stay in your home or in your neighborhood and somebody's home in your neighborhood rather than going to the shelters. Shelters are great and they're absolutely necessary, but if you don't have to be there, don't go. Right. You know, not only because it puts pressure on the on the shelter itself, but because you will be better served to stay in your neighborhood or in your own home if if you can. And that's really really important. If you can take care of yourself, you should. Yeah. 
Uh, um, one of the things that if, if you're thinking about now, well, what do you, what do you mean? What am I supposed to be doing? Um, the problem is not what to do. We have our website. The American Red Cross has a website. FEMA has a website. There is more uh, details on, on what to do about the disaster. It's developing uh, the will to prepare uh, is the issue. And, and from my point of view, is the only issue. With the technology we have now, um, there's no reason that you should ever think, oh, you know, what, what am I supposed to do about a disaster? Mm-hmm. And there's so many people that want to assist you. Um, in Sebastopol, it's Map Your Neighborhood. In, in Santa Rosa, it's COPE and the American Red Cross. And so. Yeah, I mean, I, I have the American Red Cross app on my phone, you know, which is the, um, you know, just the first aid app. You know, I mean, it's, I mean, I, I haven't had to use it. I've certainly referred to it, you know, in, in downtimes and things like that. But I haven't haven't actually had to use it. But it's it's they've made that available for us. I mean, that kind of information is available to us. You know, so I think being able to just take advantage of that kind of information with some structure, right. you know, so that you know how to be able to use that information. But Red Cross supplies I mean, huge huge number of classes that you can take. And we had the Humane Society on um, in early. December and their website is chock full of things that you can do really good tidbits on how to be able to take care of your animals that kind of information is just readily available it's taking the time and and then focusing on that information and then doing it somewhat repeatedly so that information gets into your head so as you're going on your little journey of life um, there's there's distinctions that you should know about and um, that, that I've run across. And one of them is kind of an odd one, the three components of the cosmos, which I have on the website. Um, we have been told that the Buddhist, Sikhs, and Hindu religions divide the cosmos into three components or facets. The first facet is inertia, uh, darkness, passivity, indifference, apathy. That may be where you're at with disaster preparedness. That was where I was at with disaster preparedness. Uh, I couldn't care less. And then the second component is uh, activity, restlessness, energy, preservation, excitability. So that was me when I realized, whoops, there's only 20 uh, serviceable ambulances in Sonoma County. Who's going to take care of the development of disabled people that I serve? Um, I was sure that the American Red Cross could, and, but I didn't think, well, oh, there's 500,000 other people that they have to take care of. So the restlessness starts. And then the third part is where we want you to come from, and that's your being, your existence, your purity, your goodness, your truth, that this is who you are. You are someone who cares, uh, someone who cares about your neighbors, yourself, your family, your friends, and your community, and you want to do something about it and take responsibility for it. Yeah, and the best one of the best ways, and we 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 try to drive this home. One of redundantly. the best, yeah, redundantly. <laughs> one of the best ways is to have some information about what might be necessary. You know, I mean, um, one of the things to take into consideration is, okay, yeah, I've you know, I've I've uh, read some, I've gone to a class, I know what to do in my home, I'm really feeling feel good about that, and then a disaster happens in your building. 
you know, I mean, so you're not even in the same place, you know, of what you, of, you know, of what you supposedly prepared for. So, you know, all, an all hazards approach, like most people seem to be concerned about earthquakes, you know, but I mean, sort of an all hazards approach, uh, which is a more generalized approach looking at those things that are common, at least my definition, those things that are common amongst all of the hazards that you may have to address. And then how to, how to take what you've learned in a class, say, associated to your home, and when you walk into your business, your building, take a look at the building in the same way that you might be looking at your home. Where am I going to meet people? You know, if something were to happen, how do you exit? How do you get in and out of the different areas? You know, what sort of, if, if there's a way to be able to turn gas or water on or off, where is that? You know, it's going to be the same information that you can apply in a variety of ways and in, and, and in a variety of places if you really stop and pay attention to it and, and get past the inertia, sort of like work through that whole rest, restlessness part of it, as Richard is talking about, which is frankly where I think I am most of the time, <laughs> um, and then just sort of bring it into your being so that you understand when you walk into a room, hey, where's an exit? You know, I mean, uh, you know, those kinds of basic things, you know, that, that you can take into consideration. That's just a part of your being. You don't really even think about it. You just recognize, okay, hey, there's an exit sign over that door. Okay, that's in your brain now because you had thought about it quite specifically in a class or a particular training that you had. The, the reason that I chose the joy of preparedness is because it's a cultural shift that's going to occur out of people's goodness. Um, if you think about the cultural shifts that have happened in your life, at least in my life, there were a few like women wearing pants. That was a big deal when I was a kid. <laughs> women wearing pants. Um, we created the, uh, in my lifetime, we created the concept of child abuse and spousal abuse. I remember uh, going to dinner with family friends and the wife showing up with a shiner and everyone knew that that the husband had hit her but no one said anything about it and it, it, it wasn't an issue it wasn't a distinction that we had created but now it has been created and which is quite wonderful um we elected a white guy um for uh, for president, uh, no, a, 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 a black, black man yeah, uh, for yeah. president, yeah, and that was unheard of. We, we're thinking of electing a woman for president, which is another culture shift, mm -hmm. which I hope happens. Um, men with long hair was a big deal when I was a kid. Uh, seat belts—that's a very interesting one uh, <laughs> because that's about preventing a disaster and it took so long yeah. for that really to catch on I me mean, before the stats started to change you know the right. number of deaths that were occurring you know i mean it was it really really changed right. of course then they opened up the speed limits but yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but i resisted that i remember driving with my truck with my son one-year-old son on my lap and he was driving and we were just having a great time right, right. and uh some people were frowning at us as we drove by, right. but I didn't think anything of it. So, yeah, yeah. so I, w that's the thing about, um, creating compassion is you have to recognize that inertia is part of you as well. 
Right, right. And, and it's just basic human nature. Right. You know, the change doesn't come easily. So some sense of this change really is just different people talking about it. And, and I think that's part of what, for me, the, this radio program does is, is it brings it from, you know, dealing one-on-one in a class situation or one to a few in a class situation to being able to, you know, hopefully get the message out to, you know, um, you know several people. <laughs> Who knows right. how many people are actually listening? But, you know, um, getting the message out to a larger group, the one-to-many sort of situation is, is a much, much better way to get the, the message out. And I think also the like the joy of preparedness. I mean, I, I was definitely in the inertia place when it came to, you know, like joy. Like, okay, Richard, you know, like how can you find joy in this situation? Right. Because my mind was really around this whole sense of I actually need to prepare. You know, there's this whole sense of this need to do it because of something that's impending. And I think you had been at it longer and at a and at a different angle and a different level so that I was able to start to then understand, you know, where you were coming from with that sense of, okay, the coming together to do this is really what it's about. It's not the specifics and the information and the impending, you know, emergency or disaster. It's really the fact that we're coming together as people with some sense of a common bond and a reason to come together. And from that, we connect in that, you know, maybe in a joyful way, maybe at least in a helpful and a compassionate the, the The who cares piece. We had talked about at the end of last year, um, just briefly, the the idea that there are a lot of people out there that really care about what's going on. And so what we want to do is begin here in this new year with being able to acknowledge some of these people that we know of anyway um, who really care. And for us, the caring is, in this case, you know, directly associated to some level of, of emergency preparedness or education or, or training, um, you know, in, in this particular area. I mean, there's a lot of people that care and do things in different areas, but we're going to address that um, specifically. And there's two ways, I think, that you can say that, who cares? We can talk about, you know, who cares? And then you can also say, who cares? You know, as if it's a topic, maybe, that nobody really cares about. So we might also, um, through the year, talk about situations out there that, you know, we either we don't really care about or that it's something that should be cared about, but it's a specific item and maybe not just a person. And I wanted to start out, um, we have, uh, with Who Cares, um, we have a group that has worked with Sebastopol CERT for a number of years now, and there's one of the people on that um, board, it was the the Sebastopol CERT board, Um, one of the people on that board has decided with, with the changes that are happening here in 2015 to step away from the board, but to continue in a role as um, a consultant helping us with the specifics that uh, some of the specifics that he's been involved with. And this is Art Trenet. Art Trenet has come to be a really close friend of mine, and I think this validates part of what Richard has been saying, that this is what happens with people. Um, and Art is somebody who started with us in the very beginning. It, it might have been in, in late 2006 that Art came on to the board. And since then, he's been just this integral solid person on the board, always bringing up the most sincere and directly associated to uh, concerns directly associated to what more can we do for people. 
people? What more can we provide? How can we help people to understand what to do? He's just been a great proponent of getting the information out to um, the residents and the citizens of Sebastopol. Now, he, he actually lives just outside of Sebastopol, but he was one of the he set up one of the first neighborhood visits by the fire department, um, bringing in actually a fire engine. And we bought a bunch of hot dogs and some sodas and things like that. And we went into his neighborhood and we actually began to just help people to understand uh, what they might be able to do, some initial information about the CERT program, and them setting up to uh, be able to fill our CERT classes as they went along. And art was just such a, has been such a huge component in being able to get that information out. He's also somebody that, that when the Map Your Neighborhood program um, came into being and we had tried two or three different kinds of programs um, or at least directions that we could take to be able to expand out into the neighborhoods, once the Map Your Neighborhood program came into place, um, Art has been such a huge, huge help in that. He's, he's uh, involved his uh, immediate family members to be able to assist in um, um, writing and developing the um, brochure that we've used for Map Your Neighborhood. Um, he's gone out and secured funding for us in association to the CERT program and Map Your Neighborhood. He's just been just a great, great person on our on our board. And um, in this year, what he'll do is he'll back away from the regular meetings that we've had um, or that we will have going forward. And he'll assist with PG&E and the classes that PG&E provides through the Sebastopol Fire Department. Um, Art is a retired PG&E person himself, and he works with uh, Michael Velasquez from PG&E to bring in, um, so far, one particular class that is extremely helpful for people to understand how the power comes to their home, into their neighborhood, and what they can and shouldn't do um, in association of to dealing with the power that comes in, including the gas that comes in. So Art will maintain um, coordinating those classes for us, and uh, I'm really glad that he's doing that, and I um, am so, so appreciative of the work that Art has done. He is definitely a person who cares. So as I thought about who am I going to talk about, about who cares, there's just too many. So... Um, and, and there, I have too many friends now. Um, was, so I began thinking about, well, we have this interfaith. We're trying to create an interfaith disaster preparedness group or council or whatever. And a few people have come together for that are Ola Beckley, who, who used to run COPE. And she's just a delightful human being and is supported of disaster preparedness for vulnerable populations. There's Dan Higgins from Oaks of Hebron, executive director. Mike Bishop, who runs the hardware store in Sebastopol. Sebastopol Hardware. Yeah. And he's a longtime supporter of community disaster preparedness. And you should go to the store and... Big supporters in Sebastopol, and actually his neighborhood, he, he runs the COPE program in his neighborhood in Santa Rosa. Right. Chris Love, um, 
who's been with disaster preparedness for vulnerable populations from the uh, Sonoma County Department of Health, uh, a tireless worker in many, many different ways. Sally Wee from the Sioux Chief Foundation, and we were going to have Sally come talk to us uh, early in this year. Sarah Finnegan, who who is from 211 and been pronounce his last name, first name. Um, Bonifacio. Yeah, Bonifacio Torres, uh, who is su- really supportive of this group, the Interfaith, and developing a, a VOAD, Voluntary Organizations Assisting in Disaster. That's one of the things, if you get involved in this, you're going to have to learn. <laughs> Lots of acronyms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but you'll get used to it. Hear it seven times, you'll know it. Um, and, and so... And also Roger Doncaster, uh, and he's going to come talk to us, too, because he's part of our uh, September uh, FEMA webinar. Uh, delightful human being. He's been on the radio. Uh, he's been one of our guests. And Zach, and Zach, Zach Hamill. Yeah. You know, and they provided, the, um, the county provided the um, OES for us to work on. That's right. So there's... There's many things that you can do to assist your community. If you have a church group and you want the church involved with disaster preparedness, that's one way of of, uh, participating. So you could participate in our interfaith uh, meeting, which is happening in February. Right, right. That information will be up on the website. I mean, I think that's. I mean, that's a good one to segue out of the who cares is is right into that whole sense of that interfaith. There, there is an existing interfaith council, but what Richard and I we, we couldn't find was you know an active group. Um, and again, we, we we you know we're looking for relevance. We have people that are interested in emergency preparedness, and they understand that wherever you can find a group that already has an existing reason for coming together, um, in inserting the the um, emergency preparedness um, question and hopefully action, inserting that into an existing group is, is a great way to be able to um, uh, utilize that group's experience of already coming together. And the interfaith, um, um, the, the, across the United States, those groups that are based in, um, in an interfaith way um, have really come together already in their own sense of just trying to work with their community many um, churches or interfaith groups have existing emergency response programs built into their community and what we'd like to be able to do in the effort that's happening now is to connect some of those groups um, that that maybe do have existing programs or are at least interested in that um, bringing those groups together to be able to um, open this dialogue to begin this conversation going within that existing group of people. Yeah, and, and this just this is how change occurs. You just raise your hand and say, let's have this happen. So a number of people have said, oh, let's have this happen. Uh, and, uh, and so it's beginning to take place, beginning to take shape. And, and um, within that, this I want to go back to VOAD, um, um, Volunteer Organizations um, Assisting in, in Disasters. In disasters. Yeah. Um, that, too, is a group that was active 
really, really helpful within the county for an extended period of time. And then just because of the way things work, um, it's, it's, um, it hasn't had the same kind of attention um, as it had in the past. And now because of some of these conversations, there is, the, uh, there is a, a, a groundswell of effort to be able to get to reactivate VOAD. And I think it's 211 that's going to take yes. the lead. Yes. And so they're under yes. the Volunteer Center, the Sonoma County Volunteer Center. And, and um, Sarah Finnegan. Sarah in particular and Bonifacio, they've really, you know, sunk their teeth into this project um, to be able to now take responsibility for VOAD and be able to um, have an organizational structure that we can connect some of these, you know, volunteer organizations to. Um, including this sense of the inner the interfaith council, I think Bonifacio in particular really had some connections into this inter, interfaith network um, in order to be able to help and and bring some people to that meeting. A second meeting we've created with two one one is the Spanish. Um, right. We would we want to have the Spanish community to be trained and have materials and and really think about disaster preparedness as well and to bring. And again, to bring people together. Um, right, so, right. so that's another meeting that's occurring in February, and that'll be on. I'll put that on the website too. Right, right. I think that's going to be an important one. I mean, we have we have a large Spanish-speaking community mm-hmm. in in Sonoma County, and um, from what I understand, anyway, there's there's um, knowledge that some information is in Spanish, um, yes. and that there are there are some organizations that are um, willing to put that information out. But I think we need to get more information out to people that a lot of like say the cert material um, and map your neighborhood actually you. Can can actually get this information um, in Spanish, and we want to be able to get that information out to people so that more and more people, including this large community of Spanish-speaking people in Sonoma County, can have access to that information. So, yeah, so what you'll find is what we've found is that the material is there, uh, whether it's in English or Spanish, and but what needs, and so what needs to happen is we just need to connect uh, uh, everybody Right, and that's what we're trying to do. I mean, and that's what we want to ask you to try to do is to just tell people, okay, you know, yeah, I've heard that there's something happening um, about different people from different areas trying to come together and have this conversation. That's really what is. It's a multi-step process, as Richard had said before. We understand. I think I understand much more now after having gone through the CERT program and the Map Your Neighborhood program in Sebastopol. This is just an ongoing effort. You just have to anticipate it's going to be a relatively small number of people that at any one point in time are actually going to take advantage of the information, but that we need to keep the information flowing out there so that so that more and more people just sort of like come through the process, gain some of the information. And I'm hoping... If something were to happen where I'm involved in an emergency, that the person next to me or the person next to them has had some training or some education or some ability to be able to be calm and collected or whatever it is that they need to do in the moment to be able to help in an emergency. I'm just hoping that that we get enough people connected together that we'll be able to help each other. And what you're going to discover is uh, there isn't a a right way. Let's summarize what we said already. There's not a right way. Uh, You don't need to know anything. Everything, all the knowledge you need to know is on the Internet or your neighbor next door. Um, But you just need to take your first step, and then the next step will appear. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, there isn't. I mean, the, the right or the wrong way. There. You know, especially when you think about how do people respond. I mean, you know, people are just going to be people. There's a huge array of ways for people to be able to respond. And I mean, I've I've heard of you know people that you would think would just totally freak out during an emergency. They walk right through it. They're, they, they're a huge help. They, they do all sorts of things that nobody even knew they had the capabilities. Maybe they didn't even know that they had the capabilities to do. And there are people that have training and experience. And for whatever be the reason in the moment, they're just befuddled by what goes on. But all of that has a tendency to pass. That's what this information sort of talks about is, is you know, the period of the actual event, whether it be an earthquake or a fire or whatever, the period of that event event itself, when the event itself is over, it's what happens in that next period, you know, that is that is really, really crucial to the ongoing effort to be able to recover from something. How we respond is really important. In March, we're going to have Becoming Independent staff uh, talk about their what they've been doing. And they work with developmentally disabled people, uh, traditionally called mentally retarded, et cetera, et cetera. And they, they have a story. They went through the Napa earthquake. Uh, they're Napa. They have programs in Santa Rosa, Sonoma County, and Napa. And um, there was one individual in particular in Napa who has a tendency to be anxious and uh, <clears throat> stressed. And he lives with his parents. And what his parents noticed during the earthquake is that he took charge of the family and told them how to react, um, what to do. And they they were dumbfounded. They didn't know what in the heck was going on. And they, they contacted Becoming Independent staff and said, what are you teaching this guy? Um, because he responded so well. So it... it this is not rocket science. <laughs> right, but And they also have an extensive training program. So right. the reason that he was able to um, access, you know, what to do was because they, it, they had, they are very thorough in their training. And then you, you hold, I think, a lot of, of good information about their response to NAPA and like how quick and, and right. how thorough that was. Yeah, they, they found out how all their clients were doing in Napa within 30 minutes and, uh, and found out that they were doing well and, and and their staff is so appreciative of the trainings they went through now that unlike before <laughs> they might not have liked it quite so much right right and I really relate to that because I think um, you know as the example that Richard gave of the parents of one of becoming independence clients calling in and and essentially asking well what is this training what is it that you're teaching you know my son here um, their reputation the reputation of this organization or think your business the the reputation is enhanced by the fact that they were able to respond in a way that was beneficial to their clients think customers, um, their reputation is enhanced by that ability to be able to, one, respond appropriately, two, maybe recover sooner. You know, being able to get back to that sense of normalcy that we talked about before, that really is the key to recovery after disaster, is getting back into some sense of normal actions, normal thinking, so that you can slowly move away from the actual event itself and get back to normal, what Becoming Independent did was to provide the information to their clients to know what to do. I'm looking at 
my desk in in the radio station, and I have a, a blue medicine Buddha <laughs> and an ama and a, a Ganesh and some Altoids, uh, <laughs> <laughs> an eclectic mix. Uh, yeah, and and what what that's there for is to inspire me to keep moving when I don't know what in the hell I'm doing. Mm. Uh, Mm. um, So we need to do that. Uh, We need to keep in front of us who we are inspired to be. um, And, and we need to keep uh, useful quotes in front of us. So I'm going to read you our deepest fear by Marianne Williamson. And think about this one. Let this one sink in. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing in enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you we are all meant to be to shine as children do we are born to make manifest the glory of god that is within us it is not in some in some of us it is in everyone and as we let our own light shine we unconsciously give others permission to do the same as we are liberated from our own fear our presence automatically liberates others so all you Rosa Parks out there, <laughs> start shining. Right, right. Yeah, yeah it's so you know p- part of what you're t- part of what she's talking about there. I mean, I think is so incredibly important when it comes to um, having you know some distance from an event maybe that has happened, and you look back or you look at those people that have responded in an event, and you realize that. We, we do find that power. We do find that ability to be able to just sort of like step beyond ourselves. That's part of that whole sense of what we read earlier about the myths. You know, I mean, I was really convinced by information that I had read in the beginning that, you know, People are going to take advantage of others during emergencies, and they're going to and they're going to come and take stuff from people, and and that that was really predicated on what I read and saw in, in the media. Um, that that was the way that people responded during emergencies, and I it just didn't really make sense to me, and I don't think that that's been borne out. I think more has you know more of what you're talking about there richard has been borne out is that people really respond from this place within themselves that we have as just common beings here some people think it's a spiritual thing some people think it's god i mean i don't know what it is really but i do know that we're connected at places that allow us to do this kind of work when it comes you know when it comes time for it. first responders i mean i know some of these guys and these and these gals that that, that do this first responder these are amazing people that they're putting themselves out in front of um, dealing with these kinds of huge emergencies that they have going on. And, and I think they've found a way to be able to express that part of themselves. You know, I mean, that they are really very caring people. But 
I mean, if you ever look at the stuff that these firefighters have to wear, yeah. you know, I mean, they, you know, they, they, they need not just inner strength, but they need also this physical strength to be able to go out and, and address these issues that are out there. I, I just have so much respect for these people. And I do know that they won't be able, in, in all likelihood, they won't be able to get to me, you know, and I need to help them as much as I can by knowing what to do myself or knowing what I can do within a small group of people to be able to help alleviate that problem um, that hopefully a minor problem so that then these first responders can get in there and do the work that they do Um, and I don't know how to be able to express sufficient appreciation to those people, those first responders, the police as well as the as the firefighters and the others like the EMTs and the people that really, you know, that this is their thing to be able to help people. Um, they're, they're, they're just a, you know, I have so much respect and admiration for them. Yeah. I think the best thing you can do is not get in their way and to be able to help be able to help yourself that if if you can make yourself un, unnecessarily helpable <laughs> <laughs> that's the word um that that you're doing them a great great service i think that's so that's a, i appreciate the way that you're framing that i think that's really important for people to uh, or for me at least to try to look through that window is to just not be a part of the problem for them right. you know instead to be you know hopefully the kind of person that i could say you oh, know we're okay over here right. you know we could take our neighborhood which which you know if the neighborhood is organized you might even have two-way radio and at least in sebastopol we have a a um a larger ham radio network set up, you might actually be able to connect into the ham radio group that can then connect into the fire department and the police department to let them know, hey, our neighborhood is actually okay. You know, we don't need anything. Or if you do need something, that that you know communication vehicle could also be used for that is, is to just be able to reach in and say, yeah, hey, we have some issues over in our area. Maybe not immediate, but at least you need to know we have some damaged buildings or something like that, and we've um, you know, we're, we're bringing that information to you so that those people can then use that information and just not be part of the problem. I think you can hear that we uh, look at disaster preparedness from a wide variety of uh, locations or <laughs> platforms. Um, and one of them is uh, is dealing with our fears. Um, the interesting things about fear, I've been told, is that if you can look at them directly, they vanish. Um, and so that's what disaster preparedness is about, too, is disappearing the fears that we have. Fears that our, our neighbors won't want to talk to us, fears that... Um, whatever it is, whatever your fear is, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, that you won't be able to, you know, like my concern is, is that I won't be able to do enough in a given situation. You know, I mean, that's right. so that's some guilt, but it's also that's a real concern of mine, you know, and maybe elevated to an actual fear. Yeah, it, it's an actuality, too. You, you, you cannot survive on your own, whether it's daily life or or during disaster. I mean, if you think about it, uh, someone brought you food that you ate this morning, uh, someone uh, sewed your clothes that you wore this morning. Mm-hmm. You you have people serving you all the time, right. um, yeah. and to recognize that that you're one of a 
one of a whole. Yeah, one of a network of people. I think that's I think that's really true out there, Richard. And you know, it, it brings up something here that I um, um, have from the American Psychological Association, which is um, their heading here is recovering emotionally from disaster. And under a section that says, "How do I cope?" I'll just read this a little bit. It says, "Fortunately, research shows that most people are resilient." And over time, and I want to emphasize that over time, are able to bounce back from tragedy. It is common for people to experience stress in the after in the immediate aftermath but within a few months and there i want to say emphasize again few months most people are able to resume functioning as they did prior to the to the disaster it is important to remember that resilience and recovery are the norm not the prolonged distress. And what I want to say about that is is that this whole sense of overtime, people are able to bounce back over time, and they mention that, that within a few months, most people are able to resume. I believe that being informed helps this. I believe that understanding this ahead of time, you know, knowing that there's going to be stresses and that you do need to face them, one of the things is it'll probably be really scary. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, you're going to experience fear, you know, so you might as well just go ahead and realize that and acknowledge, okay, I'm going to be afraid for at least, you know, whatever period of time that it might be um, and and go with that. You know, just go ahead and understand that, acknowledge that, and then have the courage to be able to go ahead and do the things that you know that you need to do um, in order to be able to take care of yourselves. But I think that this sense of being informed, knowing what to do, I mean, first responders are a great example. These people know what to do during the worst phases, during the worst parts of emergencies and disasters because they've been educated they've been trained and they have they take drills and they have the experience of being able to deal with them with these things so that for them it's somewhat second nature and i'm not saying that anybody the rest of us that are just you know regular residents out here in the community that we need to have that same level but to the extent that we have our own way or needs in response to a disaster, we can become informed and educated and we can have a plan and we can do some drilling within our family or our neighborhood so that we too can be prepared to the extent that we can in order to be, to not become part of the problem. Yeah, and we can have the equipment. We can have the shoes under the bed. <laughs> if a, a disaster were to occur... And you had a flashlight under the bed. If it were to occur at night, then you could turn on your flashlight and see that there's glass on the floor now. Oh, I better go get my shoes under the bed and put them on. And I better put on my gloves. So if you have those things, you're going to be you're going to be really appreciative of of the acts that you did prior to the disaster. Right, right. Yeah, and you know, we we talk about it both in the Map Your Neighborhood program and with the in the CERT program. Um, A helmet is also a, a, a critical item to be able to have. And what some people do is they, they take their gloves and they put it in a helmet and they put their shoes, depending upon the size of your shoes, um, either on or around the helmet, under a bed, or beside the, you know, beside the bed somewhere so that it's easy, easily um, 
you can get to it easily. Um, but a helmet is really important also in case what's happening in your home is is that things might be falling down. You know, you, you, you really should be mindful of what's on upper shelves and whether your shelves are actually attached to the wall. This is really common knowledge now. A lot of people do that. A lot of people don't take care of that issue. And I say, you know, hey, if you want to have that thing up on that shelf because it's exactly the way that it looks for you, um, well, you might want to have a helmet when you're walking around if something were to happen so that those items, if they were coming down from a height, they wouldn't be quite as damaging um, as if you didn't have that helmet. So having some of those kinds of things in a go bag, quote unquote, a go bag of some kind, is really important. I had an opportunity to um, um, see all those items that are in my go bag because I left it in the wrong place and it became very moldy um, and it ended up needing to be um, um, completely emptied and the bag itself washed out. But, I mean, I have a variety of things in that go bag that I think are important to me were something to happen, including a tool that if I needed to break glass and get out of someplace or if I needed to break glass to get into someplace, I wouldn't necessarily just have to use my, my hands to be able to do that. I actually have a tool, which is a multi-tool, uh, a, a multi-use tool. Um, I actually have something that I could use to be able to do that, and I could actually probably break a door handle or break a window closure device. I could probably do that with this particular tool also because I've thought about where I live and what I might need to do to be able to, to either get in or get out. So having a go bag is really um, very important, and there's a huge number of lists out there for those things that you might want to put in your go bag. I had the Marion Williamson quote on, I have it on the joy of preparedness. I also have another one from Christ, um, the second commandment, love thy neighbor as thyself. And I was thinking that as I was talking about this, that I'm saying things that I don't, that make me kind of fearful <laughs> that, that we're talking about uh, Christianity and different things, but um, that's what disaster preparedness is for me. It's a way of breaking down barriers, that imaginary barriers that I have within myself. I love Christians. I love Muslims. I love Buddhists. I love Hindus. Um, and this gives me the opportunity to talk about it and share that I do, that I do care. And I think that's true for all of us, that, that we, want to, we want to develop relationships with the Muslim community as well as the Hindu community. Um, it, it pains us to have the, the difficulties that we're having in the world now. And so I see disaster preparedness as one way of getting to that. Like if we can invite the Islamic uh, community to participate in our interfaith uh, meetings, that would be wonderful. If anybody out there knows of anything, please get a hold of me. All right. You know, that makes me also think of this, of the Suchi group and how strongly committed they are. I had no idea who these people were before. And, and now I understand that they're under the radar and they are so deeply, deeply involved with caring and taking care of people through their um, um, little collection devices that they have, the little bamboo devices that they use, but they are, they are present during emergencies all over the state of California and I think all over the world. All over the world, yeah. 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 And they're going to be uh, speaking with us in, uh, uh, as well as becoming independent in March. 
So you should listen to that. It's a wonderful group, and um, they hand out blankets and food and voucher cards and things like that during a disaster. Yeah, and now they have an office in Santa Rosa. I guess actually maybe it's been there a little while. I, I just know about it, but yeah. um, they've, it's actually been there well. But in one of the meetings that we were at recently, I think it was Roger or maybe it was it was Zach from the county that mentioned that Tzu Chi was still in Napa. Right. They're still doing things in Napa. And I mean, that's, it's amazing. It's been what August, right? You know, so they're still, you know, in, in there working with people that actually need assistance. And that's still how long we go back to this, like months of recovery. That's still how long it's taking for some people that were impacted by the the Napa earthquake. That's how long it's taking for them still to be, uh, to quote unquote, recovering from that event. So Tsuchi is T-Z-U space C-H-I, and it's a Buddhist uh, group in uh, China. Right. They have, they have a big presence, evidently, in San Francisco. Right. We, we met the gentleman that came up from San Francisco. He came to one of our to the interfaith meeting, and um, and they have an office, like I said, in in um, Santa Rosa. I'm really looking forward to having our opportunity to interface with them because a the little bit that I've met from them, they are so far along in their process. Um, I mean, I know Red Cross is, I think, in everybody's mind. You know, we are aware of the Red Cross, but I had no idea that this particular group, and I, I count them into the the interfaith group i had no idea that they were out there in such a strong way but speaking of that actually i invited a gentleman that i know mike mortensen and he's with the um um forestville the methodist church in forestville which i think has been there like for 130 years not not mike but the church um and he was actually involved with um planning and emergency preparedness i believe in the gualala area a number of years ago and he's actually going to come to the interfaith um meeting also um um representing the church out that way i mean the the forestville church so there's a group right there in the west county i think is pretty well represented in the interfaith this this the interfaith meetings that we have going on um because the imanji temple is coming right and there's one other church that was out um the uh hessel out on hessel right 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 yeah Yeah. was that dawn or that was uh stan higgins and mike bishop yeah yeah yeah. and then mike actually yeah is from from the church in santa rosa but the west county is very well represented and i think that's one of the things that i wanted to bring up is is that you know if you're here in west county in particular and and any anywhere is good of course but i mean if you're here in west county in particular there are a lot of people that are active in trying to understand what needs to be done in order to be able to take care of ourselves because this is an area that has that, I think, just as part of its nature. You know, I mean, we're, we, we, we sort of like being over here on the West County and we sort of like being able to sort of like stand independent. Um, and yet at the same time, that level of independence that we have is really built upon a base of cooperation and a base of a willingness to work together. I mean, again, I think I mentioned I just just learned some very interesting things about some some uh, coming together out on the Willow Creek area outside of Occidental here, uh, but it's the same way in Bodega Bay. 
we had the people that came from the Bodega Bay Cert program um, on one of our first programs, and they're they're doing some f- fabulous work. Um, they work in conjunction with the um, with the Fisherman's Festival out that way, as far as some f- uh, funding source, and they've had a community of people out there. You know, partly because of the of of the fleet that goes out, but they've had a group of people there for a very long period of time that have been dealing with okay, what do we need to do to take care of ourselves during an emergency? And they're like so far out there. You know, they're much farther away from quote unquote getting help. I mean, aside from the you know the helicopter, maybe. I mean, it's, they're so far away from being able to get help that they really need to be resilient and take care of themselves. Right. Yeah. If a, if if you're in an area where a disaster happens regularly, repeatedly, you're probably more conscious of your need to be responsible. If you're in an area like ours where it only occurs every 10 to 20 years, then you're probably ignoring it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. But to ignore it means you're ignoring who you are as a human being, that that you really do care. Right. right. Yeah. And how do you... F- fit it all in, you know, into a busy schedule, to the way that our schedules are today. I mean, one of the ways is, I mean, again, we talked about it before, is, you know, what can you, what can you just put on your phone or on your computer? You know, how can you connect in with your neighbors? I mean, again, using this, this, uh, the Willow Creek area, um, they've, you know, m- many of their neighbors are coming together on Facebook. Now, I mean, I, I come together on Facebook once every 15 or 20 months, whether I need to or not, but um, I'm not a big user of, of social media, but there are people that are taking advantage of social media as a great way just to be able to connect and say, are you okay? You know, you know, or, or I need some help. I have something going on. Or, hey, I have a, a generator, you know, and, and it's running. Come on down here. Like when the power goes out, you know, th- these are, th- this is very important. And it's happening all over the place. It's not, it's, it's more common than I had given it credit. Right. And and it's going to become even more common. We hope we we <laughs> yes. definitely want it to be more definitely more common. Yeah. So it's as important as brushing your teeth. That's what we have on the website. Um, that it it's it's a way of life. Uh, you and you want to incorporate it. The, uh, the thinking about whether you do you have you don't have enough time to brush your teeth or to buckle your seatbelt. You never think that. Uh, I thought I didn't have to buckle my seatbelt. I didn't have time for that uh, initially as a youth. Right, right, uh, but right. now, now I do. So right. it, we just need to create a cultural shift. Yeah, and I think, you know, we've talked about this. Richard and I have talked about this before. You know, how do we help kids to be able to get some of these messages, you know, firmly implanted on how to be able to take care of themselves. I mean, I use the example of, you know, my daughter as when she was really young, you know, coming up to the curb on the sidewalk and she would she was so willing to just keep going and walking across the intersection because she didn't really understand about automobiles. She didn't understand what might happen if she came in contact with a moving automobile. So what was necessary was to be able to initially just help her understand, okay, we, you know, we need to stop here or simply we need to do this thing in order to be able to prevent that thing from happening. And we didn't try to scare her 
of what might happen if she came in contact with a with an automobile. But we just let her know that it was really important for her to know we stop here first. We do these things, you know, stop, look, listen. You know, we do these kinds of things simply to prevent something that might happen and simply to, sim- to take care of ourselves. And this is very much the same way. I see it right. very much the same way. It's the kind of thing we need it to be normal, you know. You should have some water available. You know, you know, water is extremely important to you as a human being. You know, you should have some water available. You should have shoes. You know, these are like some basic things. And you can keep building, you know, as right. to the, those things that you could do, maybe not should, right. but those things that you could do. But, you know, there are some very basic things that you just really need to be able to understand. You know, what do I do about water? I mean, do you know what's in your water heater? could be extremely valuable to you you know you need to know these things how do you take care of that water how you shut the water how you shut it off yeah Yeah. so you don't get backflow something really yucky coming into your water pipes you know do you know to do that do you know where your electrical box is on your house you know it's and does does your daughter or your son know where those things are in order to be able to turn them off if something were to happen yeah or or do you know how to turn off your gas Right. Line. And so, when to turn it off. And when to turn it on. And when to turn it back on. How yeah. to do that. Yeah. It's very, very, very important. Uh, it, it may uh, prevent your house from being burnt down right. during a disaster. So. Right. Right. Or that water being contaminated. You yeah. know, I mean, that's, that, these are just very simple, very simple things. And you don't have to worry about it so much. It's just something that you understand why you have that little wrench sitting on your gas meter why you have that little wrench there is so that you can turn that puppy off you know but you do need to be mindful and aware of when you should turn that off and if you create a neighborhood group you your neighbor may turn off your gas main when a disaster happens while you're on vacation and save your house right right we went to mike cook's neighborhood and one of the examples that they gave for you know in their um, neighborhood preparation is that a fellow's home or or a family's home um, that was on vacation had a lot of water running out i guess the front door or or some somewhere um, that they could see and they had developed a phone tree so they they knew how to get hold of either this person or a relative of this person to be able to let them know, you know, hey, this is what's happening. You know, what do you want us to do? And they were able to address that for this neighbor while they were gone. You know, that's the kind of thing. It doesn't have to be a huge disaster. It doesn't have to be, quote, unquote, the earthquake that's going to happen. You know, it doesn't have to be that. It could be, you know, that you're, you know, you're a water pipe burst for some reason, you right. know, or something else goes on in your home that your neighbor might be able to help with or that you might be able to help them it's that simple it doesn't have to be a huge thing but how great would it be for you to feel you have that ability to be able to help them you know what to do because you've thought about it and talked about it and and that they're waiting to help you too yeah and that's exactly and that you know that and and that you know the people that are I think recalcitrant is the word. Yeah. I mean, the people that don't, you know, they're just not really interested. You know, when you do your mapping of your neighborhood, we always say, well, you know, include those people. You know, you want to go ahead and write them down. You don't just X their house off, you know, because right. just because they don't think about it ahead of time doesn't mean that they might not, one, need the help, and two, actually be able to help when the time comes. You know, so you include everybody. You include those people that, you know, they don't even want to talk to you about it, and you include, obviously, the 
people that do want to talk about it, and you find out, you know, then you know what to do in your neighborhood. Right. And again, not to repeat ourselves, but I'm going to. <laughs> you you don't want to be discouraged by people who are discouraging. Uh, you, <laughs> you you want to keep remembering who you are uh, and what 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 is the conversation you want in your neighborhood and in your community. Uh, but there probably will be somebody that in the neighborhood that at least is willing to think and act along the lines of becoming prepared. You know, of getting this kind of information out. And even if it's just one or two people, I mean, in your neighborhood, that's actually great. I mean, right. it's great if that can happen. You know, just if you, when we went to my Cook's neighborhood in, in Sebastopol, I mean, was it 12, 14, 16 people that were there? At I mean, least. there were eight or nine homes that were represented. And I mean, out of whatever number they had, like 20. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was great. And people came and went. I mean, it was really great to be able to see, okay, here's just one neighborhood. And that was ongoing. Right. They they had already just been doing that. You know, I think there's a lot of neighborhoods out there that are actually taking advantage of this that, that we don't even know about. Right. Although we do have in Sebastopol, I'll, I'll tout that a little bit, the Map Your Neighborhood program, which is essentially a train-the-trainer program, um, has seen, I think this is a, probably a little low, but something like 175 people that have actually gone through the Map Your Neighborhood um, leader training. And many of those, many of those have gone back into their neighborhoods and had the follow-up meetings that are a part of the structure of the Map Your Neighborhood program. Um, and, and to the best of my knowledge, two or three of those neighborhoods now have actually had drills um, so that they're testing testing amongst themselves to be able to see um, where their weaknesses might be and then also where their strengths are in, in being able to come together and then working from that place on a, on a going forward basis. So it's about us each and everyone walking to the front of the bus um, uh, about being responsible for our presence on this planet. It's about caring, sharing, and preparing ourselves, our families, our friends, our neighbors, our nation, our planet. We may experience anything from a simple power outage to a tsunami, but the more we collectively are prepared, the safer and more stress-free we will all be. This is our planet. We all have a role to play in conserving resources, sharing, caring, preparing, growing, learning. There is a need for reflection prior to an event rather than only reacting in the aftermath of an event. Mm, That's from our website. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. Yeah, the reaction part. Yeah, responding is way better than just the reacting part. Yeah. So my, um, um, I want to touch on a couple of other things that were in the, um, or on the helpguide.org. Um, one of the things that it says is, is that being proactive about your own and your family's situation and, and well-being, rather than passively waiting for someone else to help you, will help you feel less vulnerable, less powerless. Focus on anything that helps you feel more calm, centered, and in control. 
And then it also says, as far as needing to reestablish a routine, that there is comfort in the familiar. And I think for me, that's a part of what having this information just flowing around out there in the world, flowing around, hopefully, in your brain somewhere, having this information about what to do, what you might need to do, what you actually can do in a a given situation, that is the familiarity that I'm hoping people find in association to the information is make it familiar, make it comfortable, because then when something goes to happen, you have a much, much better chance of being able to respond rather than reacting and get into that sense of recovery sooner and you'll be a bigger help not only to yourself but those people that are around you because you'll probably be a bit calmer. You'll be a bit more ready to be able to deal with the things that are going to um, affect you and the people and the people around you. And one of the things to do to prepare is in your go kit is put things that make you happy more familiar yes. <laughs> yeah familiar things so that you have something to look at could be pictures of your family or your dog or whatever something your that scarf cal- that you have or yeah. whatever it is yeah. That, yeah. yeah yeah something that calms you down it's it's really important we 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 as uh humans re- respond well to things that make us happy yeah and those i mean again it's right there i mean just in what i was reading i mean just that sense of familiar you know routine coming back to the routine because the amount of upset that will happen to you as an individual even just psychologically and emotionally if nothing else if not physically the amount of upset is huge so coming back to almost anything that it is familiar including the particular pair of blue wool socks that i have in my go kit you know i like these socks i've been on the mountain with these socks i know these socks you know these are just small sense of comfort and familiarity that really actually goes to build back that sense of routine and build back that sense of comfort you know anything that will help with that is really important and and i go back to stressing just having some basic information you know what do i need to do here you know um beth i think the the lady from um uh, the sonoma county humane society talked about her sense of knowing what to do in a traffic during a traffic accident or no it was her dogs right right it was her dogs that got into a fight with another dog in the middle of the street and then she needed to be able to keep the traffic from from getting involved with what was going on and she felt like she had that information readily available to her because of one particular class just simply one particular class gave her that ability to be able to step forward and direct the traffic appropriately and that the familiarity is important with mapping your neighborhood and cope is that you become familiar with your neighborhoods maybe for the first time right, uh, right. and so knowing after disaster walking out in the into the street and and seeing your neighbor who you you've become friends with is much more calming than if you don't know who they are what's your name again right right yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, i mean again for me the situation just the other night and talking with some folks on willow creek with with fred and mariana i mean they had not known their neighbors i mean willow creek you know that's a there's a lot of property out that way i mean i mean larger acreage properties so there's fewer homes further in between and they didn't really know some of the people you know on their on their road but now they do and now they feel like they're really connected with them you know because of that sense that they came together for a reason well that will happen 
after an emergency. We know that will happen after an emergency, typically. And what we're suggesting is you can do that ahead of time. You know, and it, it, when you worry about time, that will be one of your your worries when you head out on this. Uh, what happens when you get to know your neighbors? Time shrinks in that they have answers for you that you would have spent hours trying to search, and they might have it for you. We, one of our neighbors collects water, and I didn't know how to collect water from our roof tops but they showed us what they did so now we know what to do so it it's it's a and one of our neighbors is a veterinarian so he has uh, bandages and things ready for us um again that saves time so it, it actually what you'll find is when that you're going to actually save time by becoming familiar with your neighbors right right yeah yeah that's so important i mean to know you know the the skills the resources and the needs you know within your neighborhood you know i mean there's i mean again to go back to my cook's neighborhood you know there are some some people one that have been in that neighborhood for decades um and there are some older there are some senior some senior citizens there active senior citizens but they do know who they are and which house they live in and how to be able to get hold of them because that's their concern in their neighborhood they want to be able to take care of those people were something to happen just in a minor way or in a in a disaster they know how to be able to connect with each other to be able to take care for each other yeah and in a disaster you're going to want to talk with your family members make sure that everybody's okay um it takes time to figure out how to do that if you haven't prepared in advance. Mm-hmm. But if you know you're going to call, like we're going to call our son in, in Washington, D.C., and our daughter from Davis is going to call him, and, and our son in Windsor is going to call. And if you know that ahead of time, that saves you a lot of time and mm-hmm. a lot of worry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, in the chaos of the moment, I mean, that'll just drive you nuts. Yeah. You know, not knowing what to do. I mean, for me, one of the things that was interesting was knowing, you know, the list that you make at school, my daughter is 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 going to be going into high school, but in, when she was in the lower grades, you have to make this you have to make this list of who could actually come on campus and pick her up and and you know take her. Um, were something to happen, you have to create that list. Boy, that you know that took some thinking. You know, is well, who am I going to? Who do I want to go and be able to pick? How am I going to get hold of that person? And that's all I'm saying. Or that's one of the messages that I want to carry. As soon as you start to think of this stuff, it's actually pretty simple. Oh, right. well, it's, it's my it's my good friend, and I do know how to get hold of them, and I do want to talk to them ahead of time. And now we have this whole sense of, okay, how is that actually going to happen? If, if something were to happen, how would that come about? And that's been thought about. Okay, done. Right. Done. It's done. We don't have to think about that. In my reactive phrase, my inertia phrase, I, I worry that it's going to take too much time, it's going to take too much money, and it's somebody else's job anyway, so I don't have to do anything. But after I got interested in it and reflected on it, it flipped everything around. If you prepare, you're going to save yourself time. If you prepare, you're going to save yourself money and possibly lots of money if you have a neighbor turning off your gas tank uh, uh, when you're away. Yeah. 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 And I think that's, you know, one of those things that does get talked about is 
insurance, you know, having, you know, the appropriate kind of insurance to be able to take care of those kinds of disasters and things like that. I mean, I think that's, I mean, it's, it's also really important for you to know that you have sort of like your ducks in a row. I mean, you do it on a lot of things, you know, you might do it with your health or whatever, knowing whatever ducks you need to have in a row to be able to take care of yourself. Well, and you know, this is just another way of being able to do somewhat the same kinds of things. And I also want to just throw out really quickly, as far as looking at your community, you know, um, look at, Look at, you know, we're right here in Occidental right now, you know, Occidental, Sebastopol, wherever it might be, is, is go on your community's, the city's website and just take a look at the kind of information that is on their website about emergency preparedness so that you can see what are they presenting to you about what to do. What are they presenting about what they're going to be able to do? Do they have that information available to you? If so, great. If not, it's just a good thing to know, okay? I, I don't get, I don't see what I need from the community. You know, I don't see that it's present. Okay, take, don't get mad at them. <laughs> you know, take responsibility for yourself. You know, you know that they, they're not going to be there. Okay, that's a really good thing to know. If they happen to have a big emergency presence or initiative, good to know. Really good to know. So anyway, check out the community that you're involved with. What are they going to be doing? You know, what are, what are they able to do? What are, what are their capabilities to be able to help you? It's just good information to, be have, as, to have as you go forward. Take responsibility. It's a tremendous gift to yourself this holiday season. <laughs> yes, and as we move into the new year, you know, yes. being able to do that. I mean, we're we're sort of you know dancing around it in much the same way over and over again here. But again, for us, what we're trying to do is just get this information repeated in somewhat the same ways. Actually, from a user's standpoint, you know, neither Richard nor I are first responders. You know, we've taken some classes maybe and. You you know, have some information, but we're just regular people, I think, trying to get the rest of us to be able to pay attention and do this in a way that we'll end up helping each other when the time comes. Or irregular people. <laughs> or irregular people. <laughs> right, exactly. So, Happy New Year. We love you. Yeah, Happy New Year to you all, and Happy New Year to you, Richard. Yeah, thank you. Alrighty. Skip. Talk to you all later. Bye-bye. Bye.